0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of Catholic Recon Testimonies from Reverts and Converts. I'm your host, Eddie Trask. And before I get to this week's guest, I want you to please remember to subscribe and to hit the bell so that you're notified about the videos as they come out and to share these videos and to inspire, encourage others to share their stories as well. So this week's guest is Kate Sell. Kate Sell is a thought leader and strategist with more than 25 years of experience in Catholic business and nonprofit consulting. She has been honored to serve on the board of directors for Witness to Love, Couple to Couple League, Spoke Streets Media, et cetera, et cetera, unbelievably busy. Born and raised in the hometown of Mother Angelica in Canton, Ohio, Kate resides in Atlanta, Georgia with her husband, Brian, of 25 years, and they have five children. They both converted to the church in what year, I'm going to say, because we're going to get to that. I'm not going to tell everyone what year, but Kate, it's a privilege to have you here. Thank you for being here.
1: Well, thank you for having me. Um, You know, it's always a blessing to talk about the grace of God in your life and in my story. It's just that it's just it's a it's an act of grace. I always say unmerited really unwantedness, you know, at the time I don't think I was seeking it. Just thought, just be eternally grateful for the graces that God extended to us. At a time, we really weren't looking for them, that um, he had a plan beyond anything we could ever fathom, and I think still does. Yeah. And we just continue to pray for the grace to cooperate with whatever he has.
0: So were you raised in a Protestant household? How were you?
1: I was. So I really was very blessed uh, to be in a very good Protestant evangelical, kind of Baptist household. Um, even extended family, very Baptist. Uh, My grandfather was a professor and genealogist. And so I spent my childhood uh, tramping through cemeteries and and graveyards looking for this relative or that relative. And I I had a real string of great grandfathers dating three, four generations back who were ministers and who started sweet little churches in Appalachia and and in Virginia. Um, And I had a real deep sense of my um, Christian heritage. It was a very much part of who I was. Um, I grew up around lots of cousins, and we were really like siblings and all pretty much growing up in that same culture. um, I was so blessed to learn scripture, to just know Bible stories. I really did understand salvation history. Um, It made a lot of sense to me. Uh, I love going to Sunday school and and Iwana clubs and all those things that really formed me when I was young. Um, So I'm very grateful for the foundation that it gave me. I don't think I could have become Catholic if I hadn't had those pieces and parts. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, my parents are very good people. Um, when I was really little, um, my parents originally were American Baptist, which was part of the mainline Protestant churches in the US. Uh, so coming out of the 1970s, uh, the mainline started to all of a sudden think abortion was okay, um, started to question the nature of scripture. And my parents, who I wouldn't say had a ton of formation at the time, were very convicted that they didn't believe those things were true. And they both agreed to make a break from their American Baptist heritage and to become, at that time, this new thing called evangelical. And it was a big shift for our family. We had left the church that my grandparents and and other family members went to where my parents had been married. But that conviction they had to leave that church for what they knew to believe to be true really had an impact on me, even at a very young age. Um, And to this day, I admire their courage to do that. And it really did put I uh, one sibling, my brother and I, in a place where we could really have an encounter with Christ and really get to know him um, and make him the center of our life. Um, I do think I became a, you know, quote, believer of sorts uh, when I was very young, five or six years old. Um, I remember asking to be baptized when I was about 10 or 11 um, and just desiring all of those good things. And then you get into, uh, you know, teenage years. I did have the blessing of going to um, like a Christian school. So from sixth grade to 12th grade, I went to a school that was very non-denominational, meaning you had kids there from all different denominations, Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterian, Pentecostal, um, uh, Friends, Church of God, you name it. And we all come together uh, in Bible class every single day. Uh, And so over the course of six or 12 years, um, not only did I receive some beautiful formation, but there was always a lot of debate. What was really true? Well, some denominations believed you had to uh, speak in tongues to go to heaven. Uh, Some people believed you had to be baptized. My church tradition was that once you said that prayer, you were in forever. Once I came from a very once saved, always saved tradition. Um, In middle school and high school, I got involved with a local youth group that was Church of the Nazarene, which is uh, more of a denomination in the Midwest. And they believed you could lose your salvation by sneezing the wrong way. And every time they had services, there was an altar call and lots of emotion and kids getting resaved. saved wow. And I remember in Bible class, um, kids enjoyed the debate. And of course, all of us thought very arrogantly that whatever our church believed was, was the true thing and everyone else was wrong. The teacher would always say, "You know, we can agree to disagree. You're free to believe whatever in your tradition is there. And, and you're free to have the Holy Spirit lead you. So I kind of, the, the school definitely had a fundamentalist bent to it. Uh, and I had a lot of extended family that were Baptist fundamentalists. So I had a little bit of strain that, that ran through that. Um, summer camps and places you couldn't, you know, remember one summer camp, we weren't allowed to wear bathing suits in the pool. All the girls had to have bathing suits with their clothes completely on top of them. <laughs> very, <laughs> very fundamentalist. Um, but I remember leaving high school, one, well, kind of tired of being judged in that way, right? Like, I'm tired of, did you do this? Did you do this? Did you do this? You know, it was very much, you don't drink, smoke, listen to rock and roll, play cards kind of environment, which I thought, does that really speak to our hearts? I don't know. Um, but what really I left high school with was a sense of, I don't think any of that is what I want to build my life on. But I really do believe in God and I believe there's something true out there. And I had this sense of what I, at that time, would refer to as absolute truth. I believe there's absolute truth out there. And when the the teacher would say, let's agree and disagree, I did remember thinking to myself, if we all can't agree on how we get to heaven, that's kind of a big one, right? Like, I did believe in salvation. I did believe in eternity. And if we couldn't agree on how one got there, that was was a pretty big thing to miss. So I went off to college. just wanting to kind of do nothing. And I didn't go to church for four years in college. Uh, I didn't go crazy either, um, but I didn't exactly lead a good Baptist life. But I just kind of set it aside. Like I didn't know what to do with it. And I think I was tired of following the rules. Um, So in college, I was just very happy to do my own thing. Mm -hmm. Um, Late high school and into college, um, just a lot of grace. And I ended up being a nanny for um, a a gentleman and his kids and his family named Dr. Ray Garendi. So Dr. Ray has a Catholic radio show. He's on EWTN. Um, So this was in the 90s. And Ray was on Oprah on a regular basis. (laughs) So Oprah, you know, in the 90s was all things good, true, and beautiful to the culture, right? If Oprah said it. And Ray was on Oprah a lot. Um, He had six kids when I met him. He and his wife ended up with 10 kids, all adopted. Um, She homeschooled. And so uh, high school, and then even when I very much into college, um, I really became almost their regular nanny. And they paid well. <laughs> and, and Ray and his wife, Randy, were just wonderful people. And I loved being in their home. Just loved to be in their house. To this day, I still know their kids and I'm close to them. Um, so Ray's wife, they what people don't know about Ray, and he'll tell you this, he was away from the church for 15 years. So when I met him, it was through Protestant evangelical circles. Um, it was a friend of a friend who said, hey, we know this gal. She can come help you. Uh, she goes to this sister church. So, when I met them, they were evangelical leaders, very, very much so. Yes. <laughs> Let Ray's secret out of the, well, out of the back there. I, I, yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I knew that he had that stint, but the timing is just, yeah. yeah. Wow.
1: I do remember at mm, some point, maybe I was still in high school, I was over there one day doing stuff, and he mentioned going to Mass. I'm like, what? What do you mean you, you, you had Catholic Mass? He said, well, you have a ton of time. I've got, I, I, you know, He's like, sometimes I teach CCD. I was like, really? Like I was mortified. Like I almost lost respect for him. Like, Ray, you're so smart. You know, I do remember him saying, um, he said, you know, as as a Protestant, we believe that salvation is like a backpack. Once you uh, put it on, you keep it on for life and and there you have it. He said, as Catholics, we see it more as a backpack you choose to put on every day. And I thought, that's interesting, okay. So a few years go by, I'm in college, I was over there a lot more in college because so I needed money. Um, and his wife, Randy, began to struggle with her faith. And we would, I had the blessing of just working alongside her. You know, she would be getting the kids' lunch, I would be getting the kids lunch. She'd be doing schoolwork, I would be changing her laundry. It was such a gift to be in the house. And they paid well, which I know was Ray's attempt just to keep me around. <laughs> um, so money was a big motivator to be there. With it wasn't at all holy, uh, holy motivation. Um, so Randy just, I was a fly on the wall for questions she was starting to have. She said, you know, I'm not sure when my pastor gives a sermon, is he using some psychology on me? You know, like how does what he's telling me, how do I know that's really true compared to the church that's two doors down and what that guy is saying is true? How do we know? And so she went on her own search, very genuinely so, and kind of outside of Ray, and and she starts to dig and dig. I remember one day her telling me, you know, you're not going to believe this, but everything I keep reading, it comes up Catholic. And I, I was so taken, I'm like, Catholic? I mean, I admired her like she was Mother Teresa, and I just couldn't believe. And I thought, how is this smart woman being taken in by this? So one day, I remember we are in her kitchen, and uh, we were cleaning up lunch, and she has this black cassette tape. So that dates me right there that we're talking about a black cassette tape. <laughs> And she slides in this black cassette tape to this, this tape player she had, and it is called The Conversion of Scott Hahn. <laughs> so this was probably 1995 or six at this point. And, you know, we're listening and she leaves the kitchen and I am fixed, just transfixed on what he's saying. It made more sense to me than anything I had ever heard. I mean, his story was really in a sense that some of the struggles that I'd had and what's really true, I couldn't believe it. So anyway, I come over again next time she leaves the kitchen. I'm searching for that black tape, put that black tape back in. So she ends up uh, being in what I would call a first wave of converts um, in our area. So Ray and Randy were very, very involved in the evangelical community as they would be. Um, They led Sunday schools and Bible studies and all sorts of things. Um, So as Randy is making her way to the church, Ray ends up coming along with her. So it was not the other way around. It was Ray's wife that brought him back to the church. And as he began to listen to what she was saying, it forced him to dig deeper. Really, I've known Ray's family his whole life, parents, siblings, wonderful, wonderful parents, wonderful Catholic people, but came from an age where you didn't really talk about your faith. You did it, but you Mm -hmm. didn't really know. it. So at that time, I think Ray really starts to dig in. Ray is a very, very smart man. So I was a fly on the wall for his pathway as well. Uh, And as he is leading this Bible study at church, just by nature, he's sharing what he's finding. And a whole group of people there start to all of a sudden begin to consider the Catholic church. So a bunch of them started in RCIA, which I was also mortified with, but very intrigued. I was probably a junior in college, maybe, probably 1997. Um, And they invited me to go to RCIA. And I thought, what is this weird thing? But I was afraid to tell them no, because we were so close and I liked them so much. So I remember going to RCA the first time and I kind of just snuck in the back. Um, and the first thing I noticed, well, you have to, for people who are converts will understand this. If you're not Catholic, everything about Catholicism is strange and and completely outside your culture. Pulling in the parking lot of a Catholic church was completely outside my culture. Uh, the smells, the bells, uh, the the way the buildings were. I mean, it was all completely different and I was very much a fish out of water. So it was just strange to go in. We were in the parish social hall. And the first thing I noticed at the front is this banner that says, oh, Mary, conceive without sin, pray for us who have recourse to you. I'm like, hey, I mean, this is horrible. I mean, how can these people be here? So the priest at that parish uh, just turned out to be an extremely brilliant man. Uh, younger guy, probably at that time, Father Faye Faith was in his early 40s. Um, he had gone to Duke. He had gone to Notre Dame. He was absolutely brilliant. Um, and the man at, at, at the perfect time to take this group of Protestants who were thinkers, right? They wanted to know. And he was able to just unfold the faith. So in this first wave were the people who were there that evening. I had snuck in the back. I remember everything that priest said and thinking, oh my gosh, I think he's right. This makes more sense than anything I've ever heard. So I get in my car and I leave and head back to the campus, which was probably a half hour from there. But I remember thinking to myself, well, there's a problem. Catholicism requires something of me. I would have to change my life. I wasn't doing anything crazy, but I wasn't doing anything, you know, really virtuous or good either. I was a typical college student and enjoying that. I had had all those years in that very fundamentalist environment, not about to go out back to that. Um, And I distinctly remember thinking it's easier to be Protestant. I'm just gonna set this aside. I don't wanna change my life. It was a very deliberate decision. I don't wanna change my life. So later that year, uh, my roommate, one of my best friends, um, she gets pregnant and decides to have an abortion. And I was like, "Er, "You know, put on the brakes here, whoa. Hey, like, yeah, we're all having fun here, but this is something that really matters. What, what are you doing? And it really just uh, unraveled to be this horrible situation. Um, and, and I remember just begging her to, to keep this baby. And, and she really didn't have a faith background at all. Um, no real frame of reference for anything. And I remember thinking, I can't be any kind of a credible witness or influence on her because she doesn't see me as that person at all. Right? She just sees me like her. And the tragedy of that abortion, which really went on to just destroy her life for almost a decade. Um, and she's still in my life and I love her and we're good friends. Uh, and she's come to terms with all of that. She's gone on to marry and have children and, and receive some healing. But that was a real wake up call for me. Whoa, what is life really about here? What are the things that really matter? Like we all have funny games, but this, this is life and then watching how that unfolded for her over the next few years. Um, So at the time I was dating a really nice guy. And ironically, he was the only person in my world at that moment, which says a lot about my world, that agreed with me that that abortion was wrong, not just wrong, but this horrible tragedy. And I found a lot of solace in in this really nice guy who now I've been married to almost 25 years. And uh, he, even though I really had no faith background at all, had just i think a good sense of a moral compass and recognized immediately oh, oh my gosh this is this is awful um so a uh, year goes by um she graduates uh, before i did um end of my senior year my now husband and i do something no one does is you get engaged when you're like 22 years old which which no one does and we were the only people then who were doing it um, so that was 1998 uh and uh we got engaged end of our senior year and, you know, we had not been chased we were college kids, but I did have that Protestant upbringing. There was something in my heart. It was a grace that I wanted to walk down the aisle in honesty before God. And I remember telling uh, my fiance, I said, I really want to be honest when I walk down the aisle. How would you feel about abstaining until we get married? And of course, he's such an amazing guy. And 25 years later, he said, yeah, yeah, I'll do that. Um, And we didn't wanna live together. We also had a little moral compass there. And so we both got jobs, good jobs. And we both moved back home uh, with our parents to save money. We were engaged about a year, year and a half. Um, So this is probably summer of 1998. um, And I'm in my childhood bed in my bedroom. And in the middle of the night, something just wakes me up, Literally, just wakes me up. I remember sitting straight up in bed. And to put some context to this, for four years in college, I didn't go to church. Other than my relationship with the Grandees, hadn't been a lot of God in my life. And at night, I was very deliberate about going straight to bed, straight straight to sleep. Because in the dark, it's really just you and God. There's no music, there's no parties, there's no friends, there's no teachers, academics, it's just you and God. And I didn't like that feeling. I did not wanna to talk to God. So I really avoided, I think, talking to God for four years. So here it is, you know, I'm, I'm engaged. I'm 22 years old at that point. Uh, in The middle of the night, something wakes me up. I sit up straight up in bed and whatever this was, I mean, of course it was the Holy Spirit literally says to me, what are you doing with your life? You are engaged to a man you don't even know as a Christian. What about the souls of your children? And it literally that's exactly what was said to me that night. So I get out of bed on my hands and knees, which I don't think I've ever done in my life. And I literally said, God, I don't know what it's going to take to get my life right with you, but I'll do whatever that is. I, I want you in my life. So I'd had this struggle going on in a sense of this Catholic peace that I could never reconcile. So the Grandees and others, and this is really back in what I would call the glory days of apologetics. You had lay witness magazine, you had Catholic answers magazine, Pat Madrid had a magazine at one point. And this is for the younger folks here, this is the day when things were printed and you, you know, held them in your hand. Uh, internet was very new. You couldn't just you know Google something. So uh, some people over the past year, year and a half, had given me a subscription to some of those magazines. They would come in the mail. I would never read them. but They never threw them away. Never. Th- so I had a stack of this stuff. Uh, and then the Grundy's had passed around a book in their first wave of converts called Surprised by Truth which is a book Patrick Madrid had put together of all the conversion stories. I mean, I think Steve Ray was in there, Jeff Cavins, uh, you know, all the people we know today. Uh, and I picked that book up and I could not put that book down. I saw my story in that. So it comes to, I don't know, probably August, September. And I make a commitment to uh, my parents' church for the first time ever with offering kind of a class on what do we believe? And I thought, okay, I'll I'll go to that. And I'll go to this RCIA thing. Right. I'll go to both of them and we'll just kind of weigh this out. So I'm talking to my fiance, you know, he was kind of neutral. He had a very nominal Methodist upbringing. Um, they went to church when it was convenient. He couldn't articulate uh, any, any particular faith. Like he believed in God. Um, my in-laws are very good people, um, never talked about their faith, but he was raised in a Christian environment. Um, so he was pretty neutral. Um, At that point, we were scheduled to have a wedding at the church I grew up in, even though I hadn't attended there for four years. Um, And interestingly enough, he played softball with Ray Garendi. Ray is a big softball player. If you really you really, really want to engage Ray in a conversation and get him super fired up, it won't be about child rearing. It will be about softball. This is true. So my husband's playing softball with Ray, they're buddies. Of course, my husband looks up to him and my husband starts on his own path to conversion just through that friendship with Ray. So here we are engaged, he's kind of headed this way, I'm headed this way, separate but parallel journeys, which was very good. Um, so that fall, um, my grandmother passed away and a couple of unique things there. She lived up in New York state. Um, The day of her funeral was the first day the class at my parents' church was supposed to start. So I missed that. And I knew kind of maybe that there was some Catholicism on that side of the family, I didn't really know. So my grandmother passes away and in her basement, we discover a trunk, an old trunk. And in there was this Catholic treasure trove of stuff. She had, and this belonged to her mother. So it turns out when my grandmother married my grandfather, so my dad's side, um, he was Swedish Baptist and she, this is the 1940s. Uh, and she left the Catholic church to marry him, which it turns out was rather heartbreaking to her parents. But I mean, I had never heard any of these stories. My dad was raised Protestant. So we find this chest of all of this stuff. It's got rosaries. It's got holy cards. It's got stuff from Paul Sixth and John the 23rd. I didn't even know who they were. Um, It had a little case with St. Therese's face embroidered on it and you opened it up and it was a photo of my grandmother, my grandmother on her first communion day Mm -hmm. and it had a rosary in it. So here my grandmother was this baptized Catholic. No one in the family wanted anything to do with that chest. I'm like, I will take that chest. It had um, a Catholic Bible in it, which I had never seen before from the 1960s and it had this little black prayer book that I I mean still have all of this and it said mother love on it just a little tiny book and the pages were so worn just worn and they were all prayers that a mother prays for her children she had six children um I mean I would say a few of them went on to really practice the faith and went and say today I don't know how many of them still practice today on that side but she had prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and I've often wondered you know is the graces of my life were they connected to those prayers. So I ended up with this chest with all this stuff. Uh, I missed the first class at my parents' church. The following week, RCIA starts, which was at the same church that I'd originally gone to a few years ago with that scandalous banner. Oh, Mary, conceive without sin, pray for us. And I went in, uh, really this time as a participant. And I think it took about two classes. And I just, I just knew, I knew this was true. I didn't understand it all, but I knew it was true never went to the classes at my parents' church, and and was just full on into that track to uh, becoming Catholic. Uh, you know, and I can sit here and give you stories of kind of how I had to overcome this doctrine or that doctrine, but really the real narrative, um, I think, just came in my personal life. So my parents, who are wonderful Protestants, um, they were devastated. Like, it was on par with telling them I was same-sex attracted, seriously, at that age of my life. They were devastated um they felt betrayed everything they had ever given me all the money they put into the christian school it was all wasted they did not consider catholics christians at all and here i was you know out of nowhere and very, very strong willed person they're like you're gonna join a church that has authority <laughs> you don't like any authority i'm like well i like that one that one sounds really good uh and they were hurt so i was living at home with them uh and it just became very contentious like it was We couldn't sit at the dinner table together. Um, And and a few things came to light, which were hard for me at the time. So when you grew up with a distinct identity, I mean, you had all these great grandfathers who were Protestant ministers. The culture I grew up in was Protestant. You know, smells and bells were very strange things to me. So to become Catholic was entering a whole new culture and leaving behind the culture and identity of who I was up to that point in my life. So when you're 22 years old and about to get married, that's a big shift. You're really, I remember one time thinking to myself, this is saying that all of my parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles, who I considered authorities on some level of the faith, that they were wrong. Like that was very troubling to me. Like my foundation was just kind of crumbled. Yeah. And at the same time, they were all losing their minds over this. I mean, cousins calling me, well, I guess you were just never saved to begin with or I guess you just never really knew, you know, didn't you go to such and such with us and didn't we all, you know, have these same experiences. How can you be here? Um, and my parents, uh, they had a friend and some of my relatives had a friend who started this organization called Former Catholics for Christ. And they were a group of former Catholics who, in hindsight, probably had been hurt by the church in some way, right, had left sure. the church. And they started this ministry. And it was an outreach to Catholics to bring them out of the church. Whoa. And it was very active ministry. Like you go to festivals and fairs in the community, they'd have a booth and you'd see them over there with people and, and just pulling them in. So they called up this guy, his name is Sal. And they said, Sal, we, we need you to come talk to our, our daughter. So Sal comes over and I'm nervous. I'm like This guy's going to come at me with stuff. I mean, I'm still learning the faith. I, I didn't have the apologetics. I mean, I'm just new at this. And and he starts at me with what I would now call your typical kind of silly Protestant, you know, the Pope is the Antichrist, the church is the horrible. just, I'm like, okay, well, like, I want to talk to you about your real doctrines, like not this stupid stuff. Like he, he couldn't come up with anything. Literally, it was all, you know, the Masons are buried in the Vatican, this kind of stuff, you know, and I'm like, do you want to talk about baptism and circumcision or So it was a real nothing burger of a conversation. I'm like, okay, well, that was almost disappointing. There was a part of me that wanted someone to prove to me the faith of my childhood was correct. I did not want to become Catholic. It required a lot of me. I was having to make lifestyle changes. Um, And it's interesting, looking back, when my husband and I made that commitment to chastity, a year and a half before we got married, that opened up just a torrent of graces, did that one decision, I think, changed our lives forever. Just a movement, a slight movement towards God. And I'm telling you, his, his generosity and those graces, it just it exploded. And that started the whole journey. Um, so the next person my parents brought in, I mean, they were concerned, I was their daughter, um, was their Bible, uh, their Sunday school teacher, a guy named Norm. Norm was a real authority. And Norm was an expert on Catholicism. And he was the big gun, so I told my parents, "Okay, I'll meet with Norm, but I'm I'm going to bring Doctor Ray with me." They're like, "Fine, bring Doctor Ray." <laughs> <laughs> so my parents' living room one evening, we had Norm and he showed up with his wife, and my parents, and Ray Garendi and his wife, and my uh, myself and my now husband. And he's my husband, just kind of a fly on the wall, you know. He's the fiance. He just you know can't articulate his faith. He's just stepping back. Uh. So really Ray was very charitable and this guy starts in with like real entry-level stuff. I mean, real entry-level stuff. And and Ray just kind of said, Oh, well, have you thought about this? Well, you know, think about that. Within really 10 minutes of that conversation and Ray had never made any definitive statements. He was just questioning him. Well, have you seen this? This guy gets angry, stands up. I will not be questioned. Picks his wife and leaves. (laughs) We're all like, Wow, but Ray stayed. And then my parents who had all these questions, Ray and his wife were there all evening. Ray really laid things out as much as he could. Um, And my husband was sitting there. And I remember after they left, he said to me, that makes more sense than anything I've heard in my life. The logic, and my husband's like a CPA numbers kind of guy, like logic's his thing. He he just got it. And that was a huge, huge entry point for him. Um, My parents, did not at all move to a place of conversion that night. But, I mean, it's silly to say this now, they kind of learned not to ask any questions that yeah. they also couldn't answer. They didn't know what to make of everything they had heard. Um, but they still, you know, were adamant I was not to become Catholic. So shortly thereafter, just our home was just contentious. They were hurt. I was confused and defensive. Um, and so my fiance and I decided I had to get out of the house. So we pulled our money, um, that we had been saving together and bought a little house for me to move into that we ended up living in for seven years. He did not move in until after we were married. Um, but once I moved into that house about six months before the wedding, it was such a blessing. And, and I was alone there, but I was working, but it was just me in that house. And I, I had space to pray. I had space to read, I had space to think, um, and it was in a lot of those moments where um, I just think I received so so many graces outside the contention of everything else. Um, so in the midst of all this, my parents are starting to say, well, what are you doing about your wedding? Uh, my dad said, I will not walk you down the aisle of Catholic Church. Your relatives, I mean, these people I grew up with, they were like siblings. They're not coming to a Catholic wedding. What are you going to do? And so I met with our priest, who just an, an amazing man. And I remember saying to him, Father fate." If this is what god wants me to do why is it so hurtful to everybody else why i mean people were hurting angry mad and he said you know the, the the truth is the narrow road you know and he said um i've come to bring a sword he just gave me some basic scriptures that in context not that he wanted my parents to be upset but he said yeah. you, you have free will you know you've got to think through this um so he, we just continued to keep the wedding at my parents church because that was the only way to keep the peace and father of faith has said well you can get married in the protestant church and then you can have your your wedding your marriage blessed in the church and it will be sacramental um because we were both baptized i said okay so that was the plan um but in the midst of all this there was still turmoil so i'm leaving this little house and uh ray's wife randy had give me a catholic prayer book which if you're not catholic you don't know catholic prayers you've never seen them i'm still learning to make the sign of the cross it's all new So really in desperation over this wedding and all the turmoil, you know, 22, probably that time, 23 years old, you've dreamed of your wedding your whole life. It's a total disaster at this point. And I remember opening that prayer book and this prayer, this could pronounce it memorare kind of thing. I didn't really know what it was. I never had a conversation with Mary. And I remember thinking, Mary, I don't know how you can hear me, but I, I don't know what to do about this wedding. And I prayed that memorare and she just said, I, I don't know, what, what does God want us to do about this wedding? And I just kind of did that, I don't know, for a series of days, probably forgot about it. Um, and just before, maybe a month before the Easter vigil, my mom called and she said, well, it looks like you're going through with this. You're going to become Catholic. And I said, yeah, I am. So is Brian. And She said, well, your dad and I were talking and we think it would be dishonest of you to get married in our church. So if you want to have a Catholic wedding, we will come and we will support you. And it honestly wasn't until months later after I'd entered the church that I made the connection, I think, with that memorari, Like, I absolutely believe that Mary just swooped in and took care of all that. So all of a sudden, we're four months out from this wedding. We're hurry scurrying. Of course, this priest is thrilled. We threw this wedding together. Um, Ultimately, all the relatives did come. Um, We joined the church at Easter. We were such new Catholics. And in the rush to get married and check all the boxes in the Catholic church, there was this NFP thing, some kind of requirement. Okay, well, we signed up for these classes and get into it and ended up just like, wow, this is really cool. Thanks be to God. I'd never contracepted. We were kind of taken in by the whole thing. We did the classes, um, we get married. And someone said, just before we got married, uh, we had decided to go to Rome on our honeymoon. Like, let's really find out what it means to be Catholic. We some money. Um, And so I said, oh, if you're going to Rome, you know, you can get these tickets to like sit on stage with the Pope. And I said, who's the Pope again? Oh, oh, John Paul II. Okay. Yeah. How do we get these tickets? Well, just call your diocese, yada, yada. So we get to Rome. We had to go to this office to get these tickets. um, And we show up at St. Peter's (laughs) and we show the ticket. Never been to St. Peter's. I mean, we're brand new Catholics. This is like September and, you know, the Swiss guards motioning and we go through one section once all of a sudden, We are sitting on stage. We are sitting on stage with thousands of people in front of us. And all of a sudden, the Pope drives in in this little car and comes right up and sits right there. And we realize we're on stage with the Pope, who we really knew nothing about other than he was the Pope. And we kind of believed in his primacy. So of course, we end up having our marriage blessed by John Paul II and it happened it was 1999 it was a few months before the jubilee year and so if you did the holy year churches you got this you know lasting indulgence we figured out how to do the holy year churches rome helped us understand and see that the church had existed I remember going to the catacombs and seeing the martyr the statues of the martyrs the church existed and people were dying for the faith long before there was the can of scripture <laughs> you know long before what is protestants we would say is the church today um, Rome sort of brought the, the faith alive. Um, so to, to add a small rabbit trail into this, because I think it's a beautiful part of our conversion, and to other people out there who may not understand the church's teaching on contraception, throw this in. So we'd gone into to NFP, that was fine. Um, there was another young couple at our parish who had just gotten married, and um, she and I had lunch one day, and she said that she just had a miscarriage. And I said, I'm so sorry. She said, you know, the interesting thing is, she said, you know, we've been doing that NFP thing too. She said, I, I took my charts into my doctor. For the younger people watching this, back in the day, we had charts, we had paper charts. He wrote on, we ran apps. We take our charts in, you know, so she said, I took my charts in, and he said, if he see my charts, he thinks he could save this baby. I said, really, that's odd. She said, yeah, she said, he thinks I had a shortage in progesterone because of what he saw in my charts. I thought, hmm. I said, what do you see? And she showed me, I thought, hmm, that's interesting. I went home and looked at my charts and I thought, wow, I think my charts are the same, if not like worse than hers. Didn't think much of it. Uh six months later, I turned up pregnant and we were thrilled. But I remembered those charts. And so I went to the doctor. I was 24 at the time, I guess. I'd never been to an OBGYN before. And met with the nurse practitioner. And I said, well, you know, I think I'm pregnant. And I took the test. She said, oh, you are. I said, I'm really afraid I'm going to have a miscarriage. I think I'm short in progesterone. I'm 24 years old. She said, now, now, you know what? You're just nervous. You're young. I'm sure it's fine. No, no, really. I have a short luteal phase. She said, what? I said, well, that's the time from when you ovulate until the end of your cycle. And it's supposed to be so many days and mine's like four. She said, well, you know, we don't test for, I said, I think I'm low in progesterone. She said, we don't test for that. So I just said, no, I really want you to test me for this. And she, she gave me a hard time when your insurance won't pay for it. I said, it's okay, I'd like you to test me for it. So I had my blood drawn, whatever, we went on vacation. Um, and probably it's probably a week later, I get a call from the doctor who had never met before and he said, you know, we we did run your test. And he said, your progesterone levels should be at 20. He said, yours are at eight. And he said, you're probably going to have a miscarriage probably any time. I know you're out of town. You know, this is what you would do to handle it. And I said, well, is there anything you could do to, to save this baby? And he said, well, we could put you on some progesterone, but it might be too late. I said, well, how about we do that? I would like, you know, so I got a progesterone and now we have a 23-year-old who is in seminary. <laughs> so... NFP for us became a, 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 a look inside my body to realize that I had some issues that needed to be dealt with. Truly, if it weren't for NFP through the years, we would have never had any of our kids. We had five children. Um, I had a serious progesterone issue, which thankfully doctors were always able to deal with. And we still went on to have some miscarriages. Um, but suddenly we began to see NFP as more than just something you just do. Cause I guess the church said like, it opened this world to us of going, oh wow, we did this in one little act of obedience. We were in a rush to get married. We did the class. It made sense. We did it. <laughs> and it really led us to go, okay, and, and why is the church asking this of us? Because it has been a gift to us. That's changed our lives. And we really delved deeper into the church's teachings. It really opened that up. It became a real hallmark of our life and our marriage. Um, and less about NFP, I think, but more about when you say yes, even in the smallest, simplest things that you don't understand, we didn't know what you are saying yes to. I don't think in life we ever know what we're saying yes to, that you step out in faith and you trust the church. You step out in faith and you trust our Lord. If you If you believe that what the church teaches is true, you believe it sets you free, then trusting in that is the, is the very best thing you can do. It's outside of what we know and understand and through our life. I mean, that's just been the, the hallmark. Our,
0: <laughs> our mantra
1: to our kids is most times what God's asking you to do doesn't make any sense. And if you're waiting for it to make sense, that's never going to be the case. You step out in faith simply because he's asking. So so there's, there's our story. Um, we've been married 25 years. It'll be in September and five kids. And we actually have two sons in seminary, um, which recently I was just reflecting on that. It's just something that we are overwhelmed by.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and a friend said to me just the other night at dinner, and she said, do you ever think about your conversion? And, and when you said yes, and I, I, I said, well, not really like in the context of the boys necessarily. She said, you, you should think about that. She said, your yes has, has led to all these other things. It was very humbling you're just like lord i could have said no a thousand times yeah. very easily to so many things um you just never know god's a god of the unexpected and so you you can't predict it you it, it's never what you think it's going to be uh, it never makes sense in the moment and the more things don't make sense sometimes my husband and i've gone well it must be of god because it makes no human sense whatsoever so we'll do it
0: <laughs> kate my goodness that was amazing that was so good. I don't even I don't even know if I should ask questions. I think you've landed the plane perfectly and you expressed all the phases very well. There okay, I'll ask one thing. Sure. The fact that you have two in seminary. Aside from I me mean, you can just talk about the graces of course. What did you do in your home these last 25 years? Not to say that that led to seminaries, right? Seminarians. But are are there any nuggets of information that you can provide those out there that are raising young men?
1: Well, first and foremost, if they have vocations, right? They're early on. Um, If they have vocations, it's a call from God. It didn't come from us. Um, It's a call from God. And how that will play out, you know, I'll tell friends, hey, they'll be married in five years. (laughs) You know, you never know. Um, But we were very, just kind of beyond our wildest dreams, just that we would have two young men who love God so much that they would even consider, right? I think that's what you're going for. We want them to be whatever God wants them to be. They want a garbage man or a physician, as long as it's what God designed them to do, that's all we care about, that they fulfill the purpose for which they were created. so we'll see how this pans out. Uh, but I think growing up with two converts as parents, so we had no Catholics on either side of the family. Though there was a little Catholic strain on my side, it was a couple of generations back, and no you know, I didn't know anyone that practiced, we had to be very deliberate about being Catholic. We didn't have family traditions, we didn't have holiday traditions, I didn't know what Lent was. So first getting married, and you know, granted, as converts, we were probably a little over the top. We were all in I Mabs. Mean, after we entered the church and put holy water fonts in all the rooms, you know, <laughs> we were all in. Um, but because the faith was so hard fought and won for us,
0: yeah.
1: um, it was just who we were. It wasn't something we did. It was just who we were. Um, and I think it's funny to listen to our kids. Every now and again, they'll say something. I'm like, that worked? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> you know, as a parent, um, you know, we started the Jesse tree early, early on. And I got a little book. People don't know what the Jesse Tree is. It's you do it during Advent. You read a story every night that kind of unfolds salvation history till you get to the birth of Christ. So it was a little book at a Catholic bookstore, and I had these little cutout ornaments. I colored in with crayons, and I had them laminated. And we had a little children's Bible, and we would do these stories. To this day, I mean, our oldest is 23. At Advent, we're still using those same ornaments in the same children's Bible. But it was funny, a few years ago, listening to one of our other kids uh, talk about something, I said, where did you guys really learn all these Bible stories? And they all looked at me like, "Mom, the Jesse tree. The Jesse tree? You're kidding me. So, you know, there are little things. um, I think, gosh, we were very blessed, very, very, very blessed with a, a Catholic school. Um, where the faith was lived in a very deep, beautiful way. So we were originally in Ohio, and a whole du- another interview and story. At one point, seven years into our marriage, God says, um, I want you to move to Atlanta, send your boys to the school. What? So again, things that don't make sense. We literally picked up our lives, family, everyone we ever knew, our Catholic community, moved to Atlanta to send our boys to the school, which we ended up being there for years and years. Um, uh, just a very holy Catholic place, very good, normal place, um brought formation to the boys to our family and it's interesting um, with my baptism i will wrap this in on the conversion side uh, i was baptized when i was about 10 in my protestant church it was a believer's baptism right um with water it was trinitarian and i was baptized so no one questioned my baptism when i entered the church so seven years in our third child our daughter had been born and um I wanted to get out of the house and do something. She probably two weeks old. So I went to a Bible study at her parish with just a great priest, a different priest. And he had to be talking that night on baptism. And he said, yeah, the, you know, in order to have a valid baptism, you need water. It has to be Trinitarian. And the intent of the baptizer has to be the same as the Catholic Church. I was like, what? <laughs> what? Wait, say that again? I'm thinking, I know that sweet Baptist minister who baptized me did not believe what the Catholic church believed at all on baptism. So I went to the priest afterwards and I said, hey, Father, what do you think about this? And he looked at me and he said, I think you should be conditionally rebaptized. I'm like, what? That's silly. He's like, we don't have to, but it's an option if you want it. So I went home and talked to my husband. Now, he was baptized Methodist. So Methodists did do, that they do believe in the washing away of original sin of baptism. So he was good. Uh, and I called one of my friends who was a philosophy professor, also a convert and theologian. And I said, uh, what do you think about this? I said, it seems a little silly. Uh, and well, in the meantime, I had called Catholic United for the Faith, Dennis Deubenville. And I talked to one of their theologians. I said, you know, we'll get back to you. So the guy called me back and he said, you know, we're having this issue with a lot of converts, particularly in the United States, coming out of evangelical Baptist traditions. And he said, we're of the belief that not enough baptisms are being investigated. And we think a lot of people coming to the church don't have valid baptisms. If you're open to it, we would encourage you to be conditionally baptized. So that's when I called my friend, the philosopher. I'm like, Peter, this is silly. And he, he said to me, what do you mean it's silly? He said, how old are you? I said, I'm 30. He said, you can have all of your original sin washed away at age 30. Why wouldn't you do that? And I said, oh okay so one night after the bible study I was there with the friends. father took me back in the baptistry and my friend was the godmother and he conditionally rebaptized me and afterwards he said well now your marriage is valid I'm like well that's good because we have three kids <laughs> and, and he said I know this will sound silly but I'd like you to go through the confirmation uh this was in December in, in the spring with the other kids I said okay so in the meantime, a few months go by. God calls us to go to Atlanta. Two weeks before we moved to Atlanta, I had to go to this confirmation ceremony. And I absolutely believe I was not validly baptized. That before God sent us really on mission, in a sense, he wanted me to have all the graces that he intended for me to have. And he confirmed me. So
0: beautiful. that's your question about the
1: boys. Be beautiful. We've just lived it. That's all I can say. Yep. There's no formula. We just lived it. We love our Lord and they know it. It's part of who we are. It's not a rule we follow. They were in an environment of other people who felt the same. Um, I will add, I know we need to wrap this up. Um, the school had priests, priests on campus, priests that played basketball with them, priests that went on camping trips with them, priests that mentor them. Our boys see the priesthood as, well, I could be a doctor, an attorney, a priest. Like it's not a weird thing. Most boys in America see a priest once a week behind a pulpit if they go to mass every week, and that's it. Um, our boys were just raised, raised with priests, yeah. priests who were fun and healthy and engaging and attractive lifestyle. So I think that had a lot to do with it as well. All of this is a grace outside of us. God knew what they needed. Um, yeah, we're just grateful. That's all I can say. We're grateful. There's nothing we have done to get where we are today, except have a grace to say yes, just over and over again.
0: No, Kate, that really comes across well. And I appreciate that story. I had no idea that they had all those avenues that were connected to such grace. Um, thank you for your time today. And thank you for being willing to to share such a fantastic story. And so, yeah, I love the black cassettes and the charts. You're like kids back in the day.
1: Magazines. We had magazines, we had, we had
0: magazines too. <laughs> Have you ever heard of such a thing? Anyway, um, everyone, thank you so much for for tuning in. Please share this testimony far and wide. And uh, I appreciate all of you tuning in. Until next time, take care and God bless. Bye.
1: Thanks, everyone.